Welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where, as you've heard me say, we get together every week and we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, farming. It's the industry we love, the industry we know, and I'm so glad you joined me because I've got a great guest today. His name is Austin Manis. Austin is the COO, that's the Chief Operating Officer, not Chief Organizing Officer, not Chief, uh, you know, operations organizer. No, he's the chief operating officer of Harvest Returns. Harvest Returns is a Fort Worth, Texas-based company that, well, they manage money or bring in investors for agricultural deals. They came on my radar screen a couple of weeks ago. I've been busy traveling. I've looked at their website several times to get a handle on this because I truly believe that in the, in the business of agriculture moving forward, there's going to be some changes, as we all know, but it's going to be changes about how things are financed. You know, we all understand the farm credits and the ag bankers, and then we've all known that there's uh, outside investors, but it seems to me there's opportunity for more of that, and that's where Austin's company, Harvest Returns, comes in. You know, this is a business. We talk about money on this podcast because that's what businesses exist to do, to make money, to create the lifestyle. Yes, in agriculture, especially at the farm level, we love to talk about the lifestyle. Oh, the cute little kids and the bales of hay and the windmill and the barns, and the eggs fresh out of the, out of the laying house. And that's all neat, and it's all cute. Also, it's also kind of a Norman Rockwell picture of how things were 100 years ago, but the reality is there is no lifestyle if there's not first the business, which is why we talk about the business of agriculture right here every week on the Business of Agriculture podcast. The assets are huge. You know this if you're in the industry. Bag of seed, 300 bucks. Uh, new combine. 300, 400, $500,000. chopper, 500 to $700,000. Acre of land, three grand if you're in a cheap part of the world, 10 or 12 grand if you're in the more expensive part of the world, six to eight grand if you're out in my neighborhood in Indiana. The assets are huge. The capital requirements are big. We have less people doing this in the business of agriculture and still accomplishing even more because of the pace of technology. So I've had ag lenders on the show. I've had business people on the show. I've been talking for two minutes. Now it's time to introduce my guest. He is with Harvest Returns, the COO of Harvest Returns. His name is Austin Manis. Austin, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Howdy, Damien. Thanks for having me on. We're going to cover a lot of stuff, and I just did the big setup, and I know that right now there's people listening to the show going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, you've had bankers on, and you always talk about money stuff, but what's this Harvest Returns? So Austin, here's what I'm going to tell you, dear listener. He's a former veteran. He has spent time overseas defending your country in the U.S. Army. Am I right? That's correct. An officer, a former officer in the U.S. Army. He's a graduate of Texas A&M, and he also has a master's degree from KU. That's University of Kansas. He's been deployed. He's come back. He's originally from Georgia, but he makes Texas his home residence, and he works for Harvest Returns. So what did I miss? Uh, Damien, that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good synopsis. Yeah, I, I uh, had kind of the country boy upbringing. Um, grew up around the farm folks. Grandparents were uh, um, they met uh, sharecropping in Alabama, kind of post depression era, and uh, so our family's been uh, pretty much wrapped up in ag, uh, you know, for their own sustainability or just in the hobby hobby sense for for decades. And so, yeah, my connection to the ag, the ag folks, and then just seeing folks around the globe in, in these kind of emerging markets, whether it's the Middle East, Africa, Asia, um, that it, it it became very apparent to me that this you know agriculture is obviously the thing that keeps us all fed and clothed and and sheltered, and so I knew I wanted to be a part of this 
um, from the get-go. And you were, you were stationed at one point in your career uh, in the military in Afghanistan, am I right? Yeah, I was in Kabul, that's right. So you saw, you saw the absolute opposite. Uh, here we've got the issue of we're fed and we're really fed. And by God, we, we'll just keep feeding you. And over there, there's uh, not as well fed of people. So you've seen both ends of the spectrum. You've seen the South Atlanta 400-pounders, uh, and you've seen the people that are living on the street and uh, in a third world country. Yeah, and it, and it kind of it's kind of two edged sword. There, you got the folks that um, you know kind of impoverished areas that could use some uh, some innovation in that community, and then you you've seen some areas where uh, folks have gotten it right, and and kind of uh, they're not the four hundred pounders; they're the very healthy, uh, know what they're eating uh, kind of cultures. And so, um, yeah, there's some things to learn out there in the rest of the world, and and uh, we've definitely been out there to see it, and, and we continue to go out there and find those those innovative ways to do this, uh, this thing we call ag. So Austin, I, I, I mean, I, I speak for a living. And if you're just tuning into the business of agriculture podcast and you're saying, wait a minute, I, I, who is this guy? Uh, my name is Damian Mason. I'm your host. And also I earn a living speaking at agricultural functions all over North America. And I'm a farm boy. I own some farm ground back in Indiana. I was raised on a dairy farm. So I've been around this for 49 years, my entire life. And one thing that I predict when I talk to my, agricultural audiences is that outside investor money is probably going to become more common, more mainstream. Now, this has existed for a while. I mean, technically, I'm an ag investor. I rent out most of my ground. I manage my woods. I have a little hobby beef and hay operation, but I rent out the bulk of my uh, income generating property. So technically, I'm an outside investor, but not to the degree that you're talking about. Harvest Returns, your company, brings outside money into agriculture. I predict that there's going to be more of this in the future because there's a lot of money, capital, looking for variations on returns and also variations of deployment. Tell me about harvest returns, Austin. So, yeah, you're exactly right, Damien. Uh, you know, just being a landowner, you're considered a, an, a, an investor in agriculture. So, um, Capital is moving around. We all know how the economy is doing right now. And sometimes that's, that's good for farmers. That's bad for farmers, depending on what, which uh, crops you're into livestock you're into. So um, the idea is that uh, there are investors out there that would love to be a part of the Rockwell painting that you described. They, they want that. They want that connection to their food source. They want to feel like they're sitting at the table in the morning having fresh eggs and bacon and talking about, hey, what are we going to do on the farm today? But they live in parts of the world. That's not uh, a likelihood for them. Or they want to get in, but that maybe they can't come in at the $100,000 million level um, because they're just regular folks. Um, but they want to be involved and they want to have a little bit of diversity in their portfolio. So these are the folks that are interested. And, they, and so what we developed was a way for these type of people to get involved with what we think is the most important business on the planet, keeping us all fed and clothed and sheltered. So how we do that is we work with the farmers, the ranchers, the timber leasers. Uh, we work with them to develop private equity offerings that is governed by um, U.S. securities law. We, we propose these offerings to investors via our platform. The investors can go and shop like they were shopping for pants on Amazon or car parts or, or what have you on the internet. They can look and see what is out there that I can get into, that I can afford to get into, that I'm excited about? And so we provide those offerings to them. The investor can come in, uh, shop around, do their own due diligence and decide, you know what? I want to be a part of this pork farm uh, in Iowa. I want to be a part of this wheat operation in Colorado 
or some of our more exotic ones. I want to be a part of this cocoa farm in West Africa, this timber lease in Sri Lanka. So we have, we have offerings that are from around the globe to allow investors from around the globe, but mainly the U.S., to get involved uh, and like I said, the most important business on the planet. So this is really interesting. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, and I told you a little bit before we started recording here, Austin, I, you know, I've got so many different people from my audiences and whatnot that tune in. Maybe it's the guy that sells seed or the, the, the woman that is a uh, PR person for a chemical company, or maybe it's somebody that's involved in just production agriculture at any different level from, you know, livestock to crops all over. But a lot of times we think about, okay, there's our farm. And there's, uh, there's the farm we were raised on. And then there's the one we're buying from our siblings, for instance, like I did. And then you say, okay, but there's also people that want to be involved and you and your company can get them in the game. And again, they don't have to buy 160 acres in Iowa. They can put in and essentially own shares. So uh, I think this is uh, an interesting concept. I do see this growing. Essentially, you're like a REIT, a real estate investment trust, except you're kind of like where a REIT meets an investment banker. Investment bankers put deals together all the time, okay? There's, uh, you know, three manufacturing facilities all owned by this family. The, the family wants out of it. We're going to package them together and sell them to, uh, you know, GE or whatever. GE is a bad example because they don't have any money to spend right now. But you're kind of the investment banker meets the REIT meets an investment uh, broker. Give me the kind of lay of the land. Sure. So a better description of us. Uh, so we're, we're definitely not a broker dealer um, and we are not investment advisors. So we're not breaking down, hey, this is a good thing to get into. This is a bad thing to get into. We, we want the investor to be uh, self-directed as you know, as the term is self-driven, self-motivated. Um, and so we are providing them some quality offerings, uh, and, and not kind of pushing them into one. We're just providing that table, that buffet for them to come and sit down to, but not telling them which, which dish to dive into. So, um, so that, and that's the difference between us and say an investment advisor on the broker dealer side is we help farmers put these deals together. Um, that does take some capital up front from the farmer, but we want to minimize that cost to them. We don't charge broker dealer fees, one, because we legally can't based on the licenses that you would need to do so. We are more like the listing service. You have a product, we want to get it in front of customers, we want to help you market that product to the customers, and we're going to help you structure that so legally you're not, you're not going to have to get in trouble with the IRS, the SEC, or FINRA. We've had the, we've done the homework and we've set up the structure to help you put those documents together on the farmer side so that you can come and do this fully compliant with U.S. law. And then also we're going to help you maintain that positive relationship with the investors. Okay. That's not only documents, but that's also just kind of the, the connectivity of keeping the investor updated with what you're doing, videos, pictures, tours. There's even farms that do tours to allow the investors to come. So we maintain that relationship. You're the place that uh, is bringing it all together. The, there's the need. So how do you, first off, how do you find the things that need funded? You know, if I am a, if I'm a cocoa plantation in Sri Lanka and I need, uh, I need a half million dollars to put in a new infrastructure to better process my cocoa. Uh, I just randomly go on Google and find harvest returns. No. How, how do I come to you? How do I come to you if I'm a, a rice producer in Arkansas and I say, man, I'll tell you what, I am already tapped out with uh, the bank. But I know that I can make money off of that 
320-acre chunk of ground over there. I just need the capital. I'll be the operator if someone else will buy it. How do I find you? So we spent a, a good bit of time and effort initially when we started the company up to get out there and, and try to get farmers' attention. Did a few shows, but it was, it was really a lot of um, things like this, podcasts, webinars, um, attending events, um, getting our search engine optimization uh, at 100%. And it's one of those things that it shouldn't surprise any of your listeners. When, when you say, Hey, I need money. Sometimes you hear crickets on the end of the other end of the phone. When you say, Hey, I've got money. Sometimes you can't keep them out of the door. And you got <laughs> so when, when we started to pitch that idea to folks that said, Hey, you know, you've been going to banks for 40 years. Your grandpa went to banks for 40 years. What if there was a way that we could get you this capital that you wouldn't have to be over leveraged in debt or put up another piece of your farm as collateral? What if there was a way we could provide you capital uh, through enthusiastic investors? And, and now they're knocking down our door. We, we have a deal flow where we get seven, 10 farmers a week easily coming at us from all parts of the globe, mostly the U.S., but all parts of the globe. And they're saying, hey, I, saw, I found your thing on Google. I heard you on a podcast. I saw you in a magazine. Uh, I need that capital. And, and so they're, they're eager. So that eagerness obviously drives them towards us. And, and that's kind of how we designed it. And, and it's worked well so far. Okay. So then conversely, and to your point, uh, I make this point uh, uh, myself, as you pointed out, you said, if you're calling up asking for money, by golly, it's, it's a lonely world. If you're calling up saying, I've got money, it's a little different scenario. I, I pointed out a year or so ago, uh, and I'm, I'm fortunate, my business is good, and, and uh, I've worked hard to get to this point. Uh, we're not as bad off as I once was, I should say. Uh, there was a time in my life when uh, I couldn't, I, I sat at my desk and pounded coconuts together to see if a dollar would fall out of them. And there was a time when, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of uh, people willing to go out of their way to do business with me. Last year, a year and a half ago, uh, a chunk of ground across the road was up for sale and the auction company made a personal visit and two banks came in my driveway, banged on the door, brought me little gift bags. And I said, good God, Lori, to my wife, I said, there was a time when I couldn't get a banker to return my call. Now they're pulled in the driveway, trying to bring gifts to me, calling us, sending us little cards saying, we really want to do business with you. I said, what changed? Oh, I'm a better loan risk now. That's what changed. <laughs> so when you need the money, you can't get it. And when you aren't really even interested in getting money, by golly, they want to give it to you. So about your situation, you've got now people that need capital to expand their agricultural enterprise coming to you saying, can you get me funded? Now, tell me how you go about getting the funds. I'm, I'm a Joe Blow out here in Aurora, Colorado, and I have money invested in the stock market and money invested in my house. And now I think I might want to do something with, but I don't know that until you call on me. Where does the money come from, Austin? So if you want to raise that capital, the, the, the way we get to know you and the way we find out what's going on is, is we're just going to start a conversation with you. You're, you know, if a farmer comes to us, a rancher comes to us, I need capital. I need $1 million. Uh, okay, sir. What, what is it that you do? We're going to get to the five W's. Who are you? Where are you? What are you raising? What kind of money do you need? And what do you think you could offer investors as far as a return? Very simple questions. And we get a, a spectrum of sophistication level for farmers. Some show up, hey, this is a cool idea. I'd like to explore some options. Some show up going, hey, I've got everything I need. I just need you to go raise the money. Here's the documents. Here's the plan. Here's the financials. I'm ready to rock and roll. 
So we work with that entire spectrum. And so it depends on how that farmer approaches us, where they are on that timeline. Are they, are they fully ready to go? Do they need some help with a preparation? We're going to work with all of them. It's really a level of not only where they are in the timeline, also of sophistication. Some Absolutely. folks, like you said, they think it'd be neat to have somebody help them buy the 40 acres across the road. It'd be a neat idea. And then there's some people that say, here's the cash flow statements. Here's our, uh, here's our projections. Here's where we are on, the, on our asset to value or asset to debt, et cetera, et cetera. And then they, do those entities themselves say, here's where we think we can give a return of 7% or 6% or whatever that should be? We start with that. We say, Hey, you, you know, your business, we're, you know, we're not trying to get into the weeds of, you know, how that cotton farmer is going to pull something off. We are going to pull from him. We're going to do our homework on it to make sure it's all legit, but we want him to run his business because he's got that experience. What we're going to do is just take a look at his cash flow situation, understand how the business is run and how revenue is produced and say, this is what we recommend that we offer to the investors because this will be appetizing to them. A 2% return on a million dollar investment where your money's locked up for 25 years is not an appetizing investment typically. However, if we work with a farmer and say, hey, we understand that you know, your cash flow, maybe you can offer 10% and a five-year exit, that's a little more appetizing to investors. And so we kind of worked with them just to make sure that, because um, they're so focused on their business, well, how to grow something, how to how to raise a, a certain livestock. They just sometimes need a little bit of business savviness to sneak in there and go, hey, this is what an investor is going to look at. They don't understand how a cow goes from grazing in the field to the delicious cheeseburger they're about to eat, but they understand numbers. And so we want to make sure that these two parties are kind of speaking the same language when they, when they come together on our platform. Uh, two things, Austin. First off, a little bit ago, you continually referred to that potential, that perspective, that hypothetical cotton farmer as him, him, and he. We have girls that listen to this podcast also. There are lots of ladies in the business of agriculture. Let's make sure that we remember that it's not just him, he, and he. Okay, second thing. Absolutely. Like to- You're absolutely right. We, de- we actually get quite a few uh, farmer inquiries from, from young ladies that are out there and um, from all types of crops and uh, specialties as well. I bet you now, if you were to look at your, uh, your pool of deals and projects, there's probably some uh, fair amount of gals involved in, on the investment side too. What's your average investment? So we crunch the numbers based on what we've already done. Uh, the typical investor shows up and you're going to have some outliers. You're going to have a lot of the minimum folks and you're going to have those ones or twos that come in and go, you know what, I'm going to fund this whole thing. Um, so we try to keep that in mind, but I would say our average investor shows up with about 25 K $25,000. So really, I mean, again, not, not sounding arrogant, but $25,000 in an industry that, you know, go get a corn head and you're talking what a hundred thousand dollars, go, go buy a piece of tillage equipment. You're talking what $60,000. So, I mean, $25,000 for your average investor is really kind of puny compared to some of the dollars that ag sees, you know, when you're talking six or $8,000 acre ground, uh, that kind of thing is not that huge of an amount. And then you've got somebody that comes in with a million dollars and, and they are going to invest, you know, all million of it. Absolutely. And so we have those deals that are going to allow someone to come in at five and 10. And so when I say an average investor comes in at 25, that's not necessarily for one specific deal. If we have three offerings open, a chicken farm, a cattle deal, and a cotton farm, you can take that $25,000, put five here, five here, 
10 there, five here. So you're not only diversifying your portfolio in general, but you're diversifying your ag part of your portfolio, another layer. Yeah. So you took, you took your, you've got your 401k money that goes into mutual funds. And then you also say, I'm going to put some money into agriculture and within agriculture, someone's going to go to cotton, someone's going to corn, someone's going to go to cows. Okay. Um, I should also point out that you made a very good point about the, shall we say the sophistication of this. Uh, sometimes the people on the production side of ag are so wrapped up in what they do, you pointed out, that they don't think about it from the investor's perspective. And I think that our moving forward, our industry is so capital intensive uh, and moving you know, right along with all the technological advances, et cetera. I think that even the production ag person better pull back and look at things as an investor would more and more because yeah, we already know you're the producer. We already know you're applying the technology, but you really need to be quite cognizant of how this looks as an investment because after all, you're not only doing the work and growing the crops or putting up the chicken houses or whatever, you are still an investor yourself. Yeah, absolutely. In innovation is key to staying alive in any business, uh, you know, in any, in any part of the world. And if you look at what's happened in the ag, in the ag business world, everything has been innovated or evolved. The technology is, is growing rapidly. You got drones that are doing thermal imagery. You got combines that'll drive themselves. Why hasn't ag finance evolved just like everything else in the ag business? Why hasn't the, the banking industry, and you, and you talked about how farmers know the bank system, but why don't the banks know them? Why don't they understand ag innovation. And when we start talking about indoor, hydroponic, aquaponic, vertical farming, those are innovations that are happening and banks are not keeping up with that pace. And In so fact, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Austin. I don't know that your, your ag lender as the traditional ag lender from the community bank to the bigger players, you know, Rabobank or Farm Credit, I don't know what their stake is in some of that hugely new uh, tech that you're talking about, aquaculture, uh, vertical farming. My gut tells me because most bankers learned a long time ago to play defense. That's all. I made the point. If you ever bounce your new idea off of your accountant, your attorney, and your banker, you're no, we would still be living in caves because all three, lawyers, bankers, and accountants, all three of them have learned to play defense, not offense. They are not entrepreneurial. They are not innovation-minded folks. and They're certainly sure as hell not risk takers. So it's groups like you. When you talked about some of this new technology, there's Silicon Valley money that's funding that stuff. There's investors that say, I've made a hundred million dollars over here, you know, off of uh, Uber uh, or Facebook or whatever. And now I'm going to get into this. So it's definitely not your traditional financing that's happening there. And that's what you're seeing as well. Absolutely. And when we set ourselves up, uh, our CEO, Chris Raleigh, raised around the Dallas area, uh, I spent that enough time in Texas that I got that stink on me and always wanted to stay here. We wanted to be Texas based, not Silicon Valley based. There's plenty of other crowdfunding platforms out there. That's, that's where they started. They started with venture capital money to get them going. And now they're either all being uh, acquired, merged together or, or kind of slipping out of uh, mainstream because they, they're not out there where the investors are. They're not out there where the, where their assets are, whether they're real estate uh, you know, precious metals or agriculture. And so we wanted to be where the action is and we're, we're right in the heart of a, you know, the, the agriculture world here in Texas. 
Austin, by the way, in case you somehow slipped away and got a Coca-Cola, I'm talking to Austin Manis. He is the COO of Harvest Returns. And obviously, we've been talking a lot about money and investment. Austin, speaking of which, has it been a challenge to get investors? In other words, do you have plenty of, uh, in other words, if is there, a, is there a shortage right now? If I came in and said, I need $10 million of capital for 10 different projects all over North America, is there that kind of money sitting there amongst your investors? Or is what's that look like? I would say in the investor world, specifically U.S. investors, uh, there's a lot of cash out there. And so we hear that all the time. There's a lot of cash. People have a lot of capital. They just don't, they can't find the quality deals to get that capital into. Where we are as a company in our timeline, we specifically work with farmers and ranchers that are trying to raise capital around $500,000 to three to four to $5 million. So say it again, the average range of deal is? It's about half a million, $500,000 up to four to $5 million. That is the, the slice of the market that we believe is the most underserved, that is uh, profitable production agriculture. Things beyond that, that are in the 10, 20, $25 million range, there are large ag funds or um, sovereign wealth funds, you know, the, uh, sure. whether coming out of the Middle East or something like that, that have plenty of capital that are going into something $100 million at a time. Sure. So we wanted to serve that specific part of the farming populace that uh, is in that little slice. And that is where uh, the investors that we find, that is where their appetite is. Yeah. In fact, that's where a lot of the thing, I mean, let's face it, I just bought a chunk of farm ground and, you know, and, and so that 500,000 to three or 4 million is where a lot of the deals are. I mean, that's where a lot of the farm acquisitions uh, you talked about livestock production facilities, maybe a little bit of a processing uh, you can get a lot done in that half million to three or four million range. Uh, you on your website, and I encourage my listeners to go and check out Harvest Returns because you also have blogs on there that say, why agriculture? What's the future hold for agriculture? And I thought it was pretty well done and, and it was very well done, in fact, and that's why you're on here, Austin. I checked it out. You tout ag to non-ag folks. So of your investors, how many of these people you think actually came from it like me? that just say, hey, I'm, I'm now working in the suburbs of Chicago, but I want to go ahead and put some money in over here. How many of them are completely never even understood agriculture? What do you think that mix looks like? That's a great question. I, you know, that term non-ag folks, um, you know, I think if you consider maybe the, the Inuits in Alaska or maybe some tribes down in Brazil, um, the entire populace of the world are ag folks because they're eating it, they're wearing it, they're living in it. Um, so you know, they may just not know that. They, you know, they don't understand that. There are, there are so many people, especially in our country, that are uh, wanting to know more, wanting that connection to it. Um, and so education is a huge piece. Um, there, investors have had hard times in the, in the past trying to understand what's going on in the ag world because there's just not somebody there walking the dog with them, so to speak, on, on how these processes happen. Yeah, I mean, they know how to, they know how to go on Vanguard.com and put $5,000 into an index fund that owns right. uh, a portion of the S&P 500. But you really, your job is not selling, it's informing about Absolutely. here's what this industry does. And if you want diversity, we can put you into forest land or we can Absolutely. put you into pork processing or whatever the thing might be. And the education piece is huge. And once that connection is made, an investor comes into a deal, we are providing that connection so that they're going to see YouTube videos. They're going to see pictures. They're going to see all kinds of web links to what is actually happening at their investment. We're, most of these farmers and ranchers are also going to offer to their investors, hey, 
come spend a weekend, come out here, take a tour of the facility. Oh, by the way, did we mention that there's some tax benefits to that? If you go and visit your investment, you know, if you take a vacation to Lexington, Kentucky to go see the Kentucky Derby, maybe hit the bourbon trail. Hey, why not swing by the sheep farm that you've invested in? And oh, by the way, you can, uh, account for that on your taxes. So there's a lot of benefits and the investors are seeing that and they want to feel like they're sitting at the breakfast table with the farmer and they're seeing those videos. We're providing all of that um, connection. And so that, that brings people in, it educates them. And then now they're not only making money, they're happy. They're going to reinvest. They're going to take the money that they, they got out of one farm and they're going to put it into another. And, and the cycle is just going to continue. Austin, you just told all the people listening to this that how they can go about writing off expenses uh, to go on the bourbon trip and watch a Kentucky Derby. And then while you're at it, also check out your investment. I love it. Uh, by the way, most people in ag, you don't have to, you don't have to tell them twice that there's a way to write something off. They like to write stuff <laughs> off. Uh, tell me real quickly about one of your projects that, you know, recently, give me a, a recent project that you're working on. That's interesting. Well, I can tell you the one uh, that we have open right now is, is a very uh, sophisticated indoor aquaculture deal. Um, and that is a, an outfit that's done it before. They've built one of these, they've sold it off, and now they're doing it again. They're basically going to grow fish in an in a enclosed uh, structure. They can control the environment, control the inputs, keep it completely safe and uh, chemical-free. They can, they can grow these fish that are expensive because we, the U.S. has to import them. But wait, we're going to grow them right here and What's be the right now. Uh, they're doing barramundi, I think is what they're starting with, and then European sea bass beyond that. So they are going to start, grow it here. That's going to cut the cost down. It's going to cut transportation costs down because they're going to grow it right near, near some markets. What kind of money are they looking for, Austin? So that raise is, uh, they're doing one, about $1.6 with us. They've got some other investors and other kind of finance um, uh, out there as well. And so that is a pretty high return. However, that deal is only open to accredited investors. And so in our world, we have to kind of delineate between accredited and non-accredited investors. When we have a deal that allows non-accredited investors, we cannot by law, by, by SEC regulations, uh, openly solicit those deals. So we have those available for people to see on the platform. Um, and so if they came and they registered, they would get access to those deals. Um, and so by law, we don't, we don't necessarily openly talk about them on, on these kind of public forums um, because that would be violation. And so we want to make sure that we're compliant and we make sure that we set investors and the farmers up for success. I, I, this is a fascinating discussion. I love to talk about money, but I don't want to keep my poor listeners, you know, completely, completely uh, uh, tuned in all day. So we'll wrap it up in the next few minutes, but real quickly explain accredited versus non-accredited. Sure. So these are um, kind of government mandated uh, specifications and whether or not you agree with them, um, but they are there and we have to kind of stay, we have to play by the rules. So an accredited investor, um, if you're a single in, single person, uh, you must have uh, $200,000 um, uh, income, annual income, uh, or $1 million of investable assets that are not the house you're living in. If you're an entity, you have to have, um, uh, be, you know, your valuation has to be $5 million. Um, or if you are a couple, um, it's, I believe it's $350,000 annual income. So there, there's just some lines drawn in the sand that, that the government has outlined. And that was, that was initially made to protect um, investors or protect the public from, from websites preying on people and, and running scams. Got it. So accredited only for the fish thing and the fish facility is going to go in what geographical location? Uh, 
the initial plan, uh, they had picked a spot and then, then as they developed it, the, so they're looking at some other areas. Um, we may be shifting it uh, to a different state, but uh, currently the plan was to put it in Nevada um, out there in the desert. And so, uh, and obviously some big markets out there, but they, they continue to refine their plan. Um, and so uh, they, they had already worked on one, I believe it was in Indiana is where the one they, they had built and sold. So uh, they are going to do this again and again, and they're going to make more money. And, and, you know, if we jump in and get on board, we're all going to make some money. Good deal. What kind of return do you think your investors are looking for from the fish fund? Uh, I believe the IRR on that one was around 20 to 25%. Um, how long? Uh, that was uh, at least an eight year, uh, seven to eight year um, you're coming in. So some of the deals will have, you know, that level of, uh, of, of time. Some will be two, three years. Uh, we closed a cattle deal recently. That was a three year debt note. Um, folks came in $10,000, three years, they made 8% annually and they got their principal back. And so kind of in and out. I like it. You're listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast, folks. You know, I think I'm going to bring Austin Manis, COO of Harvest Returns, back in a year because I like talking about where things are and how the mood is. And that's how we're going to close out now. What's the mood? What's your thoughts? Because we're going to come back and do this again in a year, Austin, because I'd love talking to you. What, uh, what do things look like? I mean, what's your, what's your feel? for the business of agriculture and the investment situation. We got interest rates going up and we've got a tightening commodity situation. It's been that way for five years. I think there's still a lot of reason to be positive. You? I will tell you, Damien, that we're saving literally the best for last here. The ag community is just going to change dramatically because something that came out recently in this last tax law called the qualified opportunity zones. And so we are literally structuring a fund right now to, uh, get high-end investors excited about investing in ag that meet these certain criteria and are certain geographical locations in the United States. So if you're a farmer and rancher out there, please, please, please get on a computer, pick up a paper, and, and just type in qualified opportunity zones. And if you're in one of these zones, you need to come talk to us because the money is going to start flowing out of a fire hose, and we need to know where you are because we want to get you that money. And this is going to change ag in these rural communities where there's a low population. Um, and so, you know, please, 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 I tell you, listeners, go out there and look this up and come talk to us because it's going to be huge. So essentially, Austin, the idea here is there's a, the government is sort of almost giving preferential uh, treatment to some areas of our geography because we are losing population or because we think that there's a real need for investment. And there's, is there a sweeter, a sweeter tax situation if I invest in a qualified opportunity zone? Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. So the U.S. government asked the states to provide these recommendations for locations, and it's going to be rural areas, low population, could even be inner city areas that are kind of a bit impoverished. And when they are going to offer these sweet tax benefits to folks with a lot of capital gains, to take those capital gains and put them into these areas, and that's going to drive a lot of capital that's, you know, it's out there right now, the economy's doing what it's doing. People are looking for somewhere to hide, not hide this money, but tie it up to, into it, to invest it. And invest maybe it, yeah. the return wouldn't have been there previously, but with the incentive to put it into, and, and certainly I travel through some of these, we know that there's parts of rural America that look, you know, they look half abandoned just because what's changed and, you know, we have less people because there's less yep. people required. So that's yep. where we're going to maybe see a chance at some opportunity. This was new market tax credits under the previous administration. That was JV. We're in the varsity level now under this new qualified opportunity zone. This is where 
uh, small businesses at, you know, across every spectrum, but specifically in ag are going to have just a leg up here as far as getting investment because people are just going to be begging to find one of these deals that's uh, an offering that's in one of these locations. I think the moral of the story here is, first off, Harvest Returns was, uh, a, it was a good discussion with the COO here, Austin Manis. Secondly, we know that financing of agriculture probably is going to start looking a little bit more like the rest of industry and certainly some of the upstarts and the, and the expansions that we're seeing in technology where they're, they're doing crowdfunding, they're doing outside private investing, and it's probably coming here, especially for some of these new opportunities and qualified opportunity zones. I'm Damian Mason. You've been listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast. Last thoughts. Thanks for joining me. Austin, what do you want to wrap up with? Hey, everybody, have a great Thanksgiving. And we all out here in Texas, we got turkey and football on the mind. So I hope everybody has a safe holiday. Well, the unfortunate thing is this podcast won't drop until the week after Thanksgiving. But you know what? Hey, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And remember who gave it to you. It was the people of agriculture. Thank you, Austin. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. Thanks, Damien.